In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 221. That's right. It's our Convergence episode. Uh, for those of you who have, are, are uh, uh, just kind of right out of the gate, for those of you who are uh, paying attention to the Lantern Cast and other sites for the month of June and July for the big Green Lantern 75th anniversary thing, this is not technically a part of it although it is the first episode releasing in that time frame but i wanted to get that right out there we uh we're we're not going to push aside our current issue reviews just so that we can uh (laughs) just so that we can do all green lantern 75th anniversary stuff all the time (laughs) so for those of you who uh wait for and enjoy the regular current issue review episodes we decided to go ahead and get this convergence one out for you and hey they're all finally out we waited until they were all out (laughs) This is true, so and especially now that we know how Convergence has ended, so everything either ends, begins, or kind of is somewhere in the middle now, as far as the DC Universe goes. But it was certainly, it, it kind of, in, the last few issues certainly were interesting enough to, that, that we should have some stuff to talk about, especially if you're related, since it is definitely Green Lantern Parallax related, so that's kind of a, at least a, even if you didn't like Convergence as a whole, I think that's at least something you could take out of it as a Green Lantern fan, because Hal obviously had a major role in it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so we're going to take uh, the obviously the green the two Green Lantern centric uh, two issue miniseries. Uh, Mark, you want to start off with uh, Green Lantern Parallax? Sure, I will start off with Green Lantern Parallax. So this is one of the interesting things about this series is that it doesn't this this two issue series doesn't take place in New York for Kyle and it doesn't take place in some version of Coast City for Hal. It takes place in Metropolis, like so many other versions of Metropolis that are that were that end up being in Convergence. So this is basically the the zero hour time frame. The uh, around the you know the Emerald Twilight zero hour time frame is this this story. These characters are supposed to be you know representing. So we have Kyle showing up at a, at a police precinct in Metropolis and we find out that he's coming he's come to visit you know a distraught looking broken down Hal Jordan uh, Metropolis is like pretty much all the cities in Convergence are in a dome so this dome pretty much while these cities are encased in the dome all of the powers of the all the superpowers of the individuals inside the dome are cut off so that means Hal is depowered he is parallax technically at just that time frame but he doesn't have the parallax power now Kyle is still Green Lantern, but his his ring doesn't work once the dome went up. So, which is a common, like I said, it's a common thread that we'll see in all these miniseries. Uh, Hal's been in prison for a while. I think they basically established somewhere in the series that he's kind of been like 
kind of like locked up or been depowered for about a year now in this time frame. So Hal gives a incorrect, but and we'll de deal with that in more detail later version of Emerald Twilight because there's a basically he's, they it catches the readers up to snuff if you didn't know about what happened or trying to you know basically sum up everything and re kind of like recap everything. But it's in the guise also of there's a police officer who just came on duty and got transferred and he really didn't ha doesn't have any idea who this prisoner is. So Hal gives their version of this issues or the series version of Emerald Twilight and I guess partially zero hour too because of the fact that we see uh, the scene when Hal standing above Superman when he clocked him in the head. We have Kyle trying to reassure him that, you know, you know, it really wasn't you that did this, Hal. It was Parallax, but of course that's not the entity Parallax. It's just they treat it almost like in this series that it's uh, like almost like it's a split personality in, in a way. But they basically he tries to make it sound like you're not responsible for this, Hal. Parallax is, and nobody blames you, and all this stuff. Uh, Hal kind of doesn't really accept that because he's just late, laden with guilt over anything. After Kyle goes to visit Hal, you know he walks out of Metropolis. He's thinking about Alex, and then we get the another common thread, which I won't re I won't read at this point. But the same thing that the character of of Telos tell you know basically the battle cry or the marching orders that he gives to all these cities before the battles are about to begin, and he which are basically that you know two cities are going to be squaring off and champion versus champion or champions versus champions, and the winner city gets to survive and the loser city gets wiped out, and the dome comes down. Kyle's ring, Kyle's ring comes back to life. You know, he's all happy for a second until he realizes, hey, you know, if my powers are back, then that probably means yes. And, of course, Kyle, uh, Kyle witnesses Hal breaking out of prison, and his parallax powers are returned. Uh, it should be pointed out that in this contest, which is between Metropolis and what – was it Electropolis? Is that what it is? Yes. Yes. Uh, that Kyle is supposed to be the champion of Metropolis. It's kind of, one of the interesting things about this miniseries is it's almost like happenstance that Hal happened to be there, but he was not the he was he was he was a wild card. He really wasn't factored into the battle scheme of of Telos. That he was not supposed to be you know involved at all. But of course Hal is Hal. So one of the cool things I'll go into like I said a lot of details about this I'll go into when we when we discuss this mini once we finish both parts. But I definitely like the part when. Hal, when Hal frees himself of the prison, and this is almost like an anti-rebirth, or it's a rebirth reference, but it's kind of like in re, an anti-rebirth comment, that once Hal's powers come back as parallax, he goes, no more guilt, no more doubt, at long last I can see clearly again, which is kind of referencing when Hal's spirit comes back into his body, and he talks about, you know, about... You know, he's that he finally can think clearly for the first for, for this first time in eons. You know, there's no no fear, no anything. So it's a nice little, you know, turnabout is fair play kind of play on rebirth. Um, Hal at this point is just basically looking for looking for a, a way to get out of here. Um, and he sees, you know, he's kind of and uh, so even though these cities are supposed to destroy each other, you know. Uh, Kyle really doesn't want to do this at this point. He kind of a recurring theme. He wants to see if there's a way to work around this. Maybe they can work together. Maybe they don't have to fight. Even though, to, in in defense here, Telos makes it pretty clear when, in his instructions that he covers this pretty clearly. That if you don't follow my instructions, if you choose not to fight, if you choose choose to try to work together to stop me, 
you're being wiped out. So he does kind of make it crystal clear. It's not one of these kind of like vague where where people think, well, he just because they're giving us this, telling us we only have one choice, maybe we don't. He kind of makes it clear. But Kyle doesn't really buy into that game uh, in general, and he tries to talk to Hal and, and and reach him and make it sound like you know we don't need to do this. You know we can work together. Blah 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 blah. Right at this point, uh, Electropolis. You know, the forces of Electropolis attack, and they hit Kyle, because, of course, Kyle's really their target. And as soon as Kyle gets blasted, and he, and he falls, and Hal doesn't know if he's dead or not, but that just really gets pushes Hal's buttons. And Hal and quite eloquently says, Idiots! You haven't protected your city. <laughs> You've guaranteed its destruction. So Princess Fern is the champion. Yes, that's a name. Princess Fern is the champion of Electropolis. And Hal pretty much rips into their forces. She's able to do one little like swamp thing trick on him, controlling the earth and pl- vegetation. Hal pretty quickly dismisses it and breaks free of it. Um, Hal, you know, Hal pretty much heads straight for Electropolis because he really doesn't have a, as far as he's concerned, he doesn't really have a choice because of the fact that even though he had no quarrel with you, you know, they kind of sealed your fate when they when. He, when he and Kyle were basically attacked, and he promises to make the destruction of Electropolis quick. And that ends part one. So part two, we see we, we switch back to Kyle, and Kyle, we find out, of course, is not dead. He's kind of just damaged. Uh, Princess Fern confronts Kyle and wants to basically, he's basically trying to find out who the hell Hal is, since that was not part of the deal. Yeah, he, Kyle, I mean, Kyle gives a quick little background on Hal to Fern. Meanwhile, we switch back to Electropolis, where Hal's engaging the city's defenses, and he's, you know, he, he's pretty much basically saying, you know, you brought this on yourself. It doesn't really, you know, you're kind of getting what you deserve. And he's said, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have attacked Metropolis. You shouldn't have hurt Kyle. And even though, you know, Hal and Kyle now have completely different views now that he's Parallax again, he makes it clear that he was a friend to me when pretty much nobody else was, despite the fact that he wiped out the core and everything. Hal continues his attack on Electropolis. Kyle comes to Electropolis and basically says, well, you know, I'll deal with Hal. If, let's make a deal. You, you call off your assault on Metropolis, and I'll, de- and I'll deal with Hal, and then we'll figure out how to get out of this basically together. One of the one of the two, I guess, de facto leaders of of Electropolis is completely content to do that, but the other leader overrules him and tells Princess Fern basically, here's our opportunity to take out Metropolis while, you know, both, basically both potential champions are, are here. You can take out Metropolis now and we'll win. Hal and Kyle continue, you know, Kyle tries to reach Hal, reach, you know, and it doesn't quite work. Um, the forces of Electropolis rip into Hal again and they kind of, they kind of like, Almost like short circuit him for a while, his kind of like his brain function in a way, just enough to basically interrupt his willpower. And, and Parallax is is taken down for a second. At this moment, when Kyle reaches up to help Hal up off the ground, Kyle, I mean Hal is kind of thinking a little more clearly. And once again, Kyle's kind of saying, "No, oh, we can do this. We can strike at the source of whoever took us and have and, and encapsulated these cities. Let's work together, you know. And you know, we're supposed to do stuff like this. And and it's like, you know, I can't do it your way, Hal. And Hal kind of goes, that uh, you know, I know you can't, Kyle. And even and Kyle may even makes a point of saying, I, you know, I basically, I, you know, I, I couldn't, I'd do anything to be half the Green Lantern you were, but I, you know, I, but I can't basically." 
I wouldn't want to be what you are now. You know, even you don't really want that. And Hal kind of goes, yeah, that's true, actually, I don't. But then he encapsulates Kyle like in a rocket and sh and kind of shoots and shoots him back at, into Metropolis out of the way because of the fact that, you know, he doesn't want power. Basically, he doesn't want Kyle's hands to be dirty in this. And then Kyle ends up in Metropolis. In, in Metropolis, and he's kind of put in a really difficult spot because he pretty much has to make a decision. He can go back and try to stop Hal from destroying, destroying Electropolis, but in the process, Metropolis might be killed, might be destroyed, and all these people are killed. So Kyle chooses to defend the city. You know, he tries to, again, reason with Princess Fern. It doesn't really work. But basically, at this point, the contest has ended anyway because, because you know, Telos pretty much says, you know, Citizens of Metropolis, you survived the first round of combat because Electropolis has been eradicated by Parallax. And Princess Fern and her forces fade away. And, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a little bit of a rumble there as I think, the, you know, as the city kind of is, and I think the city was, it gets transported, right, Kyle? It kind of gets moved to a different location or something like that. That's what the kind, uh. of, it's kind of implied, something like that. But either way, this, the status quo changes a little bit. Uh, Kyle... Can't can't track how and all the people of Metropolis are like gathering around Kyle, think, basically holding him up as their champion because he supposedly saved them, and that's the end of Parallax, Green Lantern Parallax, one and two. Uh, eagle eagle-eyed readers of DC Comics uh, will know Princess Fern from Crisis, uh, her very short-lived appearance in Crisis. Her parents are Lord Volt, and you might remember this name, Lady Quark. Uh, yes, which definitely are also mentioned in here because they're supposed to be involved in another battle. In yeah, in Supergirl. The, yeah, in the Supergirl title. Uh, those were the the ones from one of the Earths. I don't remember which Earth. It might have been like Earth D or something like that. Uh, but uh, Fern and her father, Lord Volt, were taken by the White Wall of Antimatter and... For so, for whatever reason, Lady Quark was able to escape the destruction of her universe alongside Pariah. And after after the the crisis, Lady Quark is one of the few uh, heroes or whatever you want to call them who remembers the crisis in their their old world. Uh, she's one of the surviving holdovers from uh, from that time period. I think she because I have an issue of DC Comics presents. Uh, I think they actually. Uh, Pariah, Lady Quark, and Harbinger actually were like a small team for a little while going throughout the DC Universe as it existed after Crisis. Mm. Okay, so you, let's go with your thoughts on this first. As, um, as a whole, or, or pros and cons? Uh, as a whole, I, I liked the art in yes. most places. It reminded me a lot of Scott Collins uh, in certain places. Um Kind of like a merging between Scott Collins and, and something else I can't quite put my finger on. Very bold lines, uh, very simple lines, um, but effective. Um, the coloring was pretty cool. Um, in terms of storytelling, uh, I, I don't really have anything 100% bad to say about it, but it didn't really excite me as as I would think, a Kyle Rayner, a 90s Kyle Rayner, and a pre-Fearbug Parallax team-up type of story should have. Mm -hmm. Like, in, in my mind, I think this, you know, when you present me this concept, I should 
walk away from these two issues being more excited about them than I really was. But I'm not sure whether that's... I know you have your issues with the story and everything, and, and I have a lot of those same issues, uh, but I'll let you talk about those uh, instead. But um, outside of those particular issues, I don't think that my enjoyment of my my um, muted enjoyment of these two issues can 100% be traced to Bedard. You're like, you know, how much of a story was he even allowed to tell? You know what I mean? Within the confines of the Convergence event as a whole. Uh, you're given two issues, and they seem like they're a little bit larger than your standard issue in terms of actual page storytelling. Um, I can double-check. Maybe they're maybe they're not. Maybe they just feel longer, or maybe the second issues feel longer. I don't know. Um, but I kind of feel like uh, maybe given the limits of the convergence event and of the miniseries of the two issue limit and, and everything, uh, what they were allowed to do, maybe this is the best Bedard could do given those restraints. I don't know. Um, I, I just know that I don't, I don't know if I believe uh, 100% that my, my, uh, again, like I said, muted enjoyment of the two issues could be a hundred percent placed on Bedard. <clears throat> but I did, I did, you know, for for what it was, it was okay. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely feel like I should have came away from this going, all right, that was that was pretty cool, and I didn't, uh, especially that last page. Uh, that last that last page, if anything, felt like, all right, well, that story's over, and we're never coming back to this again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because in a way, I mean. In a way, Kyle's only role in this was kind of to try to be a moral compass to try to balance out Hal or to try yeah. to show that, in a way, if you will, to try to show that the, what we kind of saw in a way in the final night, which was that despite what really was going on inside of Hal, which obviously nobody knew at that point, you could still – that there, there was enough of Hal in there that you – with the right approach, you can kind of – you could reach him. So I think other than that, Kyle's role in this was really almost insignificant. Uh, it is. I mean, it, it it was a cute little twist, which is really even more cute when you factor in when you factor in how. And when we we'll get into obviously a lot more detail with this, that when we, how convergence ended, that the ultimate irony of the fact that really like parallax was not even a, a factor in this whole battle world, their version of battle, their battle world, if you will. That he wasn't even a factor in the city versus city stuff, and it turned, and he was ended up being such a major, a major player across the board. He was like the ultimate wild card. So that's kind of a nice twist. Uh, just from a, like I mentioned, just from a city point of view, I think it would have been cooler if it was in New York, Kyle's New York, than it, as opposed to Metropolis. Uh, it also would have been cool if, if this is supposed to be taking place, you know, around the zero hour time that maybe this. That a dome could have gone around Coast City when Hal went back in time. If you didn't want to have Kyle in the story, or maybe Kyle, if you didn't want to have Kyle in the story, that could have been Hal in Coast City, you know, visiting the Coast City in the past. That's when the dome goes up. Now it goes down. He has the chance to defend Coast City from being destroyed again, and maybe preventing it from ever being destroyed. Period. Because now he literally gets the opportunity to change the uh, change the future of that city. So I thought that, but that's just nitpicking stuff that wasn't there. About nitpicking the stuff that was there, and we kind of alluded to some of this or not when we had, you know, when you kind of we had that 
kind of like off the cuff talk about convergence in the multimedia trailer episode. Uh, and yes, even giving Hal a little bit of, of a break because he is, you know, he is, you know, basically, you know, post-traumatic stress here, and the way he remembers stuff may be impaired because of how how much guilt that's he's putting on himself. But still, we get the same old we get the same old crap about how how killed the guardians. He didn't kill the guard. This is all from issue one. How killed the guardians? No, he didn't kill the guardians. He killed all the Green Lanterns and took their rings. No, he actually didn't kill any of the Green Lanterns whose rings that he took in Emerald Twilight. None of that is accurate. They talk about in this and this in issue one about how basically how how gained all his power because he internalized the power from the rings that he stole. All that's bullshit too. Hal's powers as parallax all came from absorbing the central power central power battery. They show Hal in the scene from Zero Hour, but they reference Hal attacking. Mat- Parallax attacking Metropolis. That didn't happen either. That's not where that battle with Superman took place. That didn't take place in Metropolis either. That's wrong. Kyle's wrong. Kyle's ring. That's not drawn correctly either. Kyle, the big one of the huge factors in this. Kyle's talking to his goddamn ring. He had no AI back during that time. How? I mean, Kyle didn't have any AI in his ring, but we knew of until Rebirth. Until that that little snippet of the preview in Wizard, I think, or Rebirth. When he couldn't understand what those beasts, what these aliens were saying, and he just said it out loud, and then his ring trick, his ring translated, uh, "Parallax is coming, Parallax is coming." Because up to that point, up to the central power battery, until that point it was repaired and the power was put back in it, there was no AI in Kyle's ring, even though it's, it was implied he was capable of it all along. That's a huge mistake. Just like the fact that his that. Once the dome comes down and Kyle turns green again, his ring tells him the power level of his what, what he had. His ring didn't do that either. This is all crap, and in all honesty, of all Tony Bedard should know better than that. Um, so either one or two things I think happened. Either they didn't make it clear that he's supposed to be writing these characters as they were, or he just didn't care and nobody caught it. Because the whole point of premise of convergence was we were seeing the character the, the characters as they were and their different and their and their correct times and places not the new 52 retcon version of these characters and how they would have re- reacted back in those time frames so those are big problems and it, and most of these the reason why when I talked about it previously it was such an issue is because almost all of these mistakes were in the preview that was leaked out You'd be hard-pressed to ever find a comic book that, in a three- or four-page preview that had more continuity mistakes and things that were not accurate based on the characters that, that, that existed at that time. We had the whole thing of them treating Parallax like he's a separate entity. Why would they treat him like a separate entity? Nobody knew what was going on, and I don't, and I don't mean even like a fear entity. Why would they treat him as anything else other than Hal being, being drunk with power? And the whole and the whole thing mentioned in issue one that you know Superman doesn't blame you. Okay, maybe Batman doesn't blame you. Give me a break. Batman blamed Hal for centuries. <laughs> yeah, even after rebirth, even after rebirth, the rebirth that we saw, not the original ver- written version when ha- when Parallax was supposed to go into Batman, which would have been the ultimate. Okay, I see your point. Case closed. Even then, you know, Batman was a little okay. You know, even after seeing everything he saw, he, he kind of like grudgingly accepted that the explanation and, and the fact that Hal was back. But of all people, Batman would, would not be looking the other way. And if even, even if somebody said, oh, it wasn't – even if Hal was saying, oh, it's not me, Batman. It was Parallax. He would go, yeah, right. 
best case split personality disorder, and Batman still would let him off the hook. Because it's Batman, for God's sake. Those are major screw-ups. Major problems. That are, com- like, are complete a slap in the face to stuff that was going on in that era. So either somebody didn't somebody didn't give to- Tony Bedard the memo about what what exactly how he was supposed to write these characters, or there was a really bad job at editing to let these things slip through, because it's that and those are major problems. I liked issue two much more than issue one because we didn't have to deal with any of that. But that was a major and the art was like Kyle the Kyle sorry it's a compliment. Uh, Chad, like Chad mentioned, the art was really good. The art was consistent. I like the fact they were actually consistent in giving Hal his gray temples, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of important, especially now knowing what we know about Parallax, that it's even more important, which is ironic because during Zero Hour, the actual proper miniseries, you know, Jurgens didn't really draw him with his gray temples. But now when you look back at it, it's kind of important to try to make sure he has his gray temples since he does have them theoretically for a reason. Uh, but those were things that took me out took me out of this right away. I don't necessarily think Hal... I think for the most part, he kind of acted like Parallax probably would have at that time. There were things that made me go, eh, but I was willing to accept it because even then, Hal was kind of almost like a drop of a dime. He could, you know, turn on a dime. He could kind of flip flip on and off. And him, him wiping somebody out, as we'll see later on, just because... You know, this, this person's kind of like in his way and acting cocky. He kind of, we saw him kind of do that in Zero Hour, like with the time, with Time Trapper. He made the comment like in the beginning of Zero Hour before we even knew it was Hal doing it about, I love how you omnipotent types always, you know, talk how powerful you are when, when you're getting your ass kicked. You know, things like that. So with, there's some things that are consistent in here. Uh, the idea that Kyle was, you know, making it sound like, oh, after every, even after you wiped out the core, I didn't think you would wipe out this city and do this. It's like, I, I don't know. I, yes, it's part of the nature of how Hal was at that time, so you, you could kind of see why he would do it. But like I mentioned, the, Telos makes it pretty clear what the rules of the game are. It's like a saw trap. He makes it clear what's what what is on the table and what's not. So he even covered the base of, well, maybe we can work together. No, he says you can't do that. Maybe we can choose not to fight. No, you can't do that. So Hal makes it perfectly clear. We, I, you know, we can't. I can't. Basically, I can't run the risk of us trying to do what you want to do, Kyle, and then view judging us, basically, Kyle, since he technically was the champion, judging us or you as losers and wiping out Metropolis. So basically, Hal had to make a decision, and and it's not. And based on what we saw, I don't know if you can really give Hal a whole lot of shit for doing what he did in this miniseries, and it's especially when they attacked first and. And that kind of set him off the set him off too, seeing Kyle hurt. So, but those are the major issues from a storytelling point of view that I had, mostly with issue one. Rant over, sorry. Um. All right. Uh. Yeah. In terms. In terms of. Uh, in terms of. Uh, uh, I mean, I agree with with most everything what you're saying. The only the only thing I will say though is, the whole treating parallax and Hal as as a separate entity thing. Is um, is maybe at the time? I mean, because Parallax wasn't. I mean, he he was kind of, but just like any character, he wasn't really written a hundred percent consistently every time he appeared. Um, so maybe maybe in this in this interpretation, they're treating it more like schizophrenia, almost like you know, with the 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 power being the impetus behind how. Uh, well, one of the main emphasis behind how going nuts is it's almost like when he's that juiced up, 
he's got like a hair trigger on his sanity and emotions. And, you know, when the power comes back, he's, you know, you know, back to being, you know, hair trigger how, but when it's off his, you know, the, the fog of, of, of emotions in, in, in clouding his mind is, is gone. And he is just left with the memory of everything he's done. So maybe that's why they're treating it like that, because, you know, that's, that's, Tony's interpretation uh, of how, as Parallax, prior to uh, prior to it being the fear bug explanation, I can and I and I can see I can see why if you if they're viewing it from the outside looking in, especially when he's been sitting in that basically he's like sitting in the cell for like a year, being like this. I can see some of that, but we also know how Batman is. Batman still wouldn't give him a pass on it. Mm-hmm. Batman wouldn't. Batman wasn't willing to give him a pass when he when he was coming back to to save the Earth in Final Night. He wasn't willing to give him any kind of a pass. So, I don't know. I I I know what. I do understand. Maybe that's a possible interpretation. Just like it's possible. Like I said, I even cut. I even cut Hal as a character is is in his incorrect version of Emerald Twilight, because of the you know post traumatic stress and because we don't know how Hal would have reacted if. Basically, for lack of a better term, a parallax had been pulled out of him shortly after all these events occurred, and Hal was still alive to deal with it. We don't know how he would have reacted, because essentially, based on the real storyline, parallax was always in him until rebirth. So we don't know how Hal... So I think, on that level, I think it's realistic that Hal would have been as remorseful and just as completely broken as he was. But, so some of this stuff I'm willing, you know... Some of these things are just pet peeves, and I've, and I've said this before in general about how many times how many times do we have to hear Emerald Twilight, re, you know, rehashed and recapped incorrectly about what happened and didn't happen? It's just a pet peeve of mine. But I'm look. But the thing that really annoyed the crap out of me more, moving beyond that, was stuff you can't explain away, which is the way like the way Kyle's ring was working. That's mm. that's pretty one on one stuff. You. Sh- you know, which, in all honesty, which is probably why, if you were gonna, if you really want to get these characters the way they were, you probably should have had Ron Mars do this series, because mm-hmm. at least Ron Mars wouldn't have made that mistake, because he wouldn't, because because he know, you know, but that's that that's stuff that just takes you out of the story to me, and that's just it's like, oh, Kyle's talking to his ring. Kyle didn't talk to his ring for freaking like, like ten years, give or take. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's garbage. His his power level. Kyle never knew what, what his power level was in his ring. He just charged it up occasionally. <laughs> he just he just charged it up occasionally because he wanted to be a, he wanted to be fully juiced because of the fact that ever since it died on him versus Major Force, he didn't want to run take that sh- and, he, and he got the battery. He didn't want that to happen again. So those are things that just it's it's hard to just look the other way about because it's so glaring. And you think somebody who is so in who no someone who should know better because of their investment and their and their ties to the Green Lantern mythos would know better. So this is what I, this makes me again because this makes me wonder what the maybe what the instructions were because we know Tony Bedard when he was writing New Guardians did tinker a lot with Kyle's history and his origin. Mm-hmm. So it makes you wonder if they if it was made crystal clear that you know you're supposed to be writing this guy the way he acts basically the way he was when Ron Mars was writing him not your interpretation or not your your New Fifty Two version back when he first got the ring you're, it's not like you're doing a a flashback to your new your version of Kyle Rayner back in that time that's not the way it was supposed to be it was supposed to be the Kyle Rayner that really we, we that existed at, at that time the way we read him and all these events were happening so to me that was a, that was a big problem but i like i thought it was but 
the art was really good. I did like the interaction between Hal and Kyle, and the, the one thing that's consistent, that no matter that they do have this bond between the two of them for different reasons. And I like even when Hal said, I think it said in issue two that if you know Kyle basically could, I think I'll I'll find it now. But it's just the, the way he he said like he kind of when he's talking about he wishes like here it is that uh, back when he was explaining Kyle. You know, when, when he's attacking Electropolis, and he goes, he was a friend to me, even after I decimated the core. If only he, too, possessed the power and perspective of Parallax, he would realize that sometimes sacrifice, sacrifices must be made for the greater good. So I kind of like that reference and the fact that, of course, we know eventually Kyle, you know, clearly is going to be under the influence or the perspective of Parallax. So, but, yeah, but as you know... The, that era Parallax, and even that era Kyle, it's, I'm pretty passionate about. So those things just kind of stood out like a sore thumb when you're when I was reading those. No, oh, I got you. And they're valid complaints, to be sure. You know what kind of bothered, bothered me, though, is the covers. I don't like the covers, though, that much. Either one of them. They no. seem sort of plain. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, it's clear because you look at the, uh, not, to, not that the covers of... Uh, the Green Lantern Corps one or anything to write home about either, but 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 it's clear that they decided to make a that there was going to be consistency in the covers that they wanted them almost to be they don't connect or anything, but they're basically almost like book now and bookends might be the improper term, but they clearly are supposed to be you know with using the same color schemes and the same background patterns for the most part that they're, they're trying to tie them together. I do like the cover of issue one more than the cover of issue two because I think Hal looks more like Hal when he's standing on you know the the, the 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 rings, you know, the symbolic rings that he's standing on, as opposed to uh, the cover of issue two. So, mm-hmm. but I think ha- I think Parallax looks pretty good for the most part. Like you said, the way the way he uh, resembles, you know, Collins's art. I think that's true. I think there's some, even some panels the way he's drawn in these issues that kind of reminds me of of the way Dan Jurgens drew him too. Yeah. So I think. Uh, you know, Ky- you know when Kyle is Kyle, he kind of looks almost more like Hal in a way. I kind of noticed that before he, you know, he just something about the way his face. I mean, he looks a little, he looks like Kyle, but in a way with his haircut and, and the structure of his face, he almost looks a little more, almost like Hal, just with like black hair. So the, some, good. some, sorry, some of the art, I just kind of, just kind of hit me. Some of the art in some places reminds me of Keith Giffen on OMAC in the New Fifty Two when he was trying to make things look like Jack Kirby. Yeah, you know, you yeah, know when Keith Giffen was in, was kind of aping uh, Jack Kirby. That that's what some of some of this looks like to me. So Keith Giffen doing Jack Kirby mixed with Jurgens and Collins is kind of what this reminds. You're right that the, the Jurgens part that that's what it kind of reminds me of. I like the, uh, the the title page on issue one, the Crime and Punishment page. I mean, Hal looks great when he's sitting in the cell. That he looks great, and even and even the the contrast between uh, the next page when Hal basically you see the close up of Hal's face as he's telling the Emerald his version of Emerald Twilight, and then you get on the next page you see the close up of Kyle's face telling basically the, his version of kind of like I guess the pseudo zero hour event that uh, occurred or did occur mm-hmm. at that point. The way that just the way they contrast, and that's when you can see the difference in their faces, especially because they're at that. Having you know Kyle's eyes be different than Hal, and you see the youth versus the you know the, the kind of the the ragged look on Hal's face. So, so the artwork, I think the artwork is the highlight of these two issues. Other mm-hmm. than other than getting other than seeing Parallax back in action, 
you know, which I think for a lot of people probably was a highlight. But I think the art, I thought the art was pretty good, and I think, uh, so. Issue 2 okay. kind of does make up for Issue 1, I think. From the, from the, from the storytelling snafus or, you know, faux pas that I think Issue 2 helps kind of, like, make, make it a little better, I thought. Okay. Uh, Green Lantern Corps? Indeed. All right, guys. Green Lantern Corps Convergence Numero Uno. Uh, uh, David Gallagher and Steve Ellis writers. Uh, let's see. Where is... Let me see here. It says... Well, it says storytellers. David Gallagher and Steve Ellis. So I'm guessing David Gallagher is the writer. Steve Ellis is the... Uh, is the uh, artist inking uh, uh, and and Parks or Andy coloring Hi-Fi uh, and uh, covered by Tony Harris. Uh, so we open up with some kids um, pretending to be the Justice League. And two of them are arguing over who gets to be Green Lantern, as they should. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Coach Guy Gardner shows up to kind of reprimand them. Um, he says, okay, well, how about you be, uh, <laughs> we all behave like super friends when coach is around, right? So one super friends reference. And then, so, uh, why don't you be a different hero? Aquaman? No. Hawkman? Uh, Hawkman? No. Gleek? <laughs> <laughs> Who? Another super friends reference. <laughs> and then he says, how about a bad guy? And the kid goes, uh, he goes through a couple of options and then the kid says Sinestro and then we cut to uh, how, uh, or Guy rather being in uh, a therapy room talking about uh, how that you know kind of triggered a bit of a panic attack with him. He's venting about how Jordan, how he took everything away from him, how everything was handled, handed him on a silver platter. We're getting some recap about uh, uh, Guy's condition in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, when he was in the coma and stuck in the Phantom Zone and tortured by Zod and Sinestro and uh, all of that stuff. Uh, after he leaves therapy, uh, his therapist is talking on the phone with someone who is at the incoming call, the Gotham Garage, which will come back into play in a few. He goes back to his place, his apartment. He's got a, uh, uh, a sign on his front door that his place is available for rent, and then he's got a voicemail on his voicemail machine that uh, uh, his benefits for the food bank have worn out because he didn't show up for work. Uh, he goes over to Gotham Towers to the home of Carol Ferris. Uh, Hal has run out on her after six days of marriage or whatever. Uh, she she name drops John Stewart and says he might know where uh, Hal is. You know, John works down at Mosaic Construction down by the dock. Um so he goes to visit John, uh, introduces himself. They go off and talk. Uh, John says, you know, I wasn't ever really, uh, I was kind of the placeholder. I wasn't really, you know, Green Lantern. You don't want to get it caught up in uh, his delusional fairy tale guy. And then Guy says, I'm not going to ask you again, where is he? So uh, later that night, we see uh, Guy show up to the Gotham Garage. Comes across Hal, a very weathered and tired-looking Hal. Points a taser at Guy, says, fine, you can hang out here, just don't break anything. Guy asks him what he's doing. He says he's basically using the SETI, 
program uh, type software and uh, equipment to communicate with space to see if he can get on a frequency that the guardians can hear uh, him broadcasting on. So guy, you know, being guy takes a baseball bat and smashes everything to smithereens because, you know, I'm, you know, you took everything from, you destroyed my life. I'm going to take a shot at yours. Right as uh, a guy is smashing things and uh, Hal is pointing a taser at him, that's when Telos co- shows up and says, you know, ready to eat. Uh, and um, uh, everything comes back online. You can see the Green Lantern power battery light up. Uh, Hal keeps Guy from recharging. He recharges and flies off. Guy grabs a leather jacket, uh, a tracking system, a baseball bat, and a taser, and a motorcycle, and goes tearing off into the night. Uh, it's finally party time. So, Guy slash Lobo slash Warrior <laughs> slash whatever. Um, and then issue two picks up uh, basically where we uh, where we left off. Uh, well, for the most part, <laughs> fast a few scenes, I guess. Um, Green Lantern Hal Jordan is caught in the clutches of a being from another world who calls himself the Anti-God. Um, it is Earth AD, at, uh, which stands for After Disaster. This is ten minutes after the dome falls. He and John Stewart are fighting uh, this, this monster, uh, Anti-God creature, um, and they both get zapped and knocked unconscious. It's kind of cool to know here that note here that when John shows up to the fight, he is in his uh, original costume, his seventies costume, basically the the traditional Green Lantern costume with mask, um, with, with with complete with mask and white gloves and and the whole the whole thing. But when John shows up, uh, he uses a construct bow and arrow and a pot punching uh, a boxing glove arrow. But anyways. They're shocked uh, uh, and uh, dropped to the ground unconscious. We cut over to the wasteland between worlds, and we see that Guy is riding around on a motorcycle outrunning a, a fire-breathing dragon. Uh, he says that he doesn't really have time for this, so he, uh, he hits a ramp on his bike and smacks this uh, dragon in the face, which his face is about three times Guy's own size, but somehow hitting him in the face with a wooden bat knocks him unconscious. <laughs> um, guy's down, kind of hunkers down for the night, uh, you know, sets up the fire and everything, trying to track uh, John and uh, Hal. He sees that they're, uh, according to that, they're about 50 miles east of him. He, You know, he kind of, you know, hits the sensor up a couple of times, wondering what the hell is going on. Uh, he looks up in the sky, and they're not even stars. They're antimatter. He makes that observation, which will come into play later on. He hears some rustling behind him. Turns out there's a wolf uh, dog creature behind him. Uh, he gives him something to eat. The dog's friendly, falls asleep behind him. Guy goes to sleep, and he's having dreams of his time in the Phantom Zone and in Quard in the antimatter universe being tortured by Zod and Sinestro. He wakes up to find himself tied up. At the mercy of Hercules and Jennifer Monroe. And she says, you've already met Basil, which is the dog. Um, and he says, I can't stay mad at you right away <laughs> to the dog. Uh, they're talking about, you know, what they're going to do. Hercules and Jennifer plan on protecting the people while everybody's off fighting. Um, 
Hercules drops that the uh, uh, his armor is impervious to the creature that they're that uh, Hal and John were were going up against. How, uh, guy calls uh, kind of insinuates that Hercules is a coward, kind of gets his ego, challenges it to him, arm wrestling match, wins somehow. Um, the deal is that Hercules is going to give uh, uh, Guy his his armor so that he can go help and, and take everything, take out the help take out the monster. And right before he departs from Hercules, he says, "How strong is your pitching arm?" So Hercules basically th- throws Guy fastball tor- special, fastball special towards the city, and Guy's singing, "Here I come to save the day." <laughs> uh, takes a couple of. <laughs> Uh, knee-shattering leaps uh, when he hits the ground. Finds John. Uh, finds Guy. Uh, they kind of swap notes. They all recharge and apologize. Guy is a Green Lantern again. Um, John uses his architecture knowledge and his Green Lantern power to hold back the debris and clouds and destruction from the city while Guy and Hal go to face the uh, the creature. Guy puts him in a bubble and says, "Those are stars up there." I'm gonna. He basically puts him in a giant bubble, sends him up there because what happens when solid matter and antimatter meet? They cancel each other out and go kablooey. So he tosses him up into the sky. This creature runs into the antimatter, explodes. Guy back down towards the ground. Everybody's good. Everybody's happy. And then uh, one more thing. One one thing left to do. Guy turns around and uh, gives a solid right hook across the jaw to Hal. Uh, and then they all fly off to do what they do best. Which is not be a factor in conversions. <laughs> Basically. What'd you think? I don't know. <laughs> I liked it. I, I, there were some I, parts of it I there, there were some parts of it I liked. I actually liked I liked issue two more than issue one. Mm-hmm. Even though I know there's there's reasons why you know you know, kinda like uh Whiny bitchy guy Gardner. I know there's reasons for him to be that way, but I definitely like uh, what we saw in, in issue two. I like that guy Gardner a little bit more. Yeah, the him beating Hercules, I didn't really understand. Yeah, that's uh, pushing it. Lever- uh, leverage, leverage is one thing, but I mean, if I yeah, leverage against a uh, yeah. a, a, a demigod's <laughs> physical brute strength. Um, Whatever. <laughs> so, and him, and there being spots of antimatter, I guess it makes sense, because just for you guys at home, it's his little gadget that he takes from the, the place, from the Gotham garage, senses that there's astronomical uh, analysis. Uh, it says, exosphere contains antimatter particles simulating uh, stellar reflections. No other celestial objects are found. Um so he's basically saying, so those aren't even stars, those are antimatter. So I guess it makes sense that it was there, but it was just, I don't know. Uh, I felt like that, you know, maybe with his time in the antimatter universe, that could have factored in. I just... Convenience. He's always yeah, too good. I, I, convenience, but I, I gotta say, I did like this, I agree with you, I like the second issue better. And despite the, you know, him beating Hercules and the craziness of this creature they're going up against and and all of this... You know, guy knocking out a massive dragon with a wooden bat, uh, and him beating Hercules and, and all of that stuff. It 
considering the era this is supposed to emulate, I thought it was perfect. <laughs> you know what I that, mean? I mean, that, that is true. Based on the the, di- the dynamic that existed between the characters at the time, it, it they, that, you, you know, you can't really complain. You can't really complain about that. And I, li- I kind of like the fact that it was set in, in the commandy world, which who knows, maybe that could have factored into there being some antimatter floating around too, because after the disaster, besides yeah. whatever's going on with Telos. Uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to say is one of the things that this story did, it was reminded me of how much I remembered and also forgotten about this era of Guy Gardner, because I have these issues. Like I have the issues where uh, Hal is all set to, you know, marry Guy's uh, old, old fiance or, or girlfriend or whatever. Uh, I have, a good portion of the the stuff where guys in a coma and you know all that whole storyline with him in the phantom zone and all of that and i i know i read it when i got it but it's so long ago that i just forgot all the details and i kind of wish i would have gone back and read some of those to see how closely these match up with those i kind of feel like all of this is really accurate but i don't know for sure cuz i don't remember everything as well as we remember like the Kyle Rayner Rayner era Right, uh, but you know, just just the the silliness of it uh, definitely fits in, and I do like how they didn't just focus on like the Phantom Zone stuff with Zod. They also made sure that they kept the Quard stuff in there with Sinestro, and you know, they didn't cherry pick some of this stuff. You know, you, Hal stole my girl, and I was tortured, and I was in a coma, and I wasn't just tortured by Zod; I was also tortured by Sinestro, and you know, it's a they, an old, they an old school looking Sinestro too. I like that. I like the fact that they, tr- they, tr- they tried to keep him looking, but the more the more of the elongated head and the sharp chin and, and the ears, and le- much less of the modern Sinestro that we had. Even the true, like the modern, the status quo Sinestro, as opposed to even when Van Skyver first started drawing him, he still kind of had the elongated head and things like that. So the chin wasn't, you know, the chin wasn't as sharp, I don't think. But, but either, but it was either way. It was nice going seeing that version, of, even though I'm personally used to the new version now. <laughs> but right. it's nice. But since again, it's supposed to be representing that time frame, it was kind of cool that it's actually being drawn the way Sinestro would have been drawn back then. Yeah, and I, I like that all the Green Lanterns have, you know, John doesn't has hasn't lost the mask, um, and Guy. Uh, hasn't done his, uh, hasn't yet gotten to the point where he's gone, you know, leather jacket wearing and everything. So he's, these are these are classic Green Lantern uniforms as they should be. Um, I'm a little concerned about Guy or John having a mask because if I, I kind of feel like he almost immediately took off the mask after he got the ring, but I don't remember a hundred percent. I kind of feel like I remember that. Like, he got his ring, and then, like, an issue later, the mask was gone. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. But I I don't remember. So, nice nice little name drops, though, in there, how, like, you know, guys working for Mosaic Construction and, you know, the Super Friends reference in the first issue and, and things like that. I agree. Yeah, I think I think there's not a whole lot to analyze here, just because it is a fun story. I I know who Hercules is, though I am more familiar with Hercules in the Marvel universe than I am in the DC universe. Um, I don't know who Jennifer Monroe is. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. 
the name sounds familiar, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm not really. Pla- I'm not really placing it either. Because her and Basil have to be something. Like that, I, I'm looking at that one panel where she's petting Basil on the head, and they're in the same panel together. And I'm just, I kind of feel like I should recognize these two as a team, and I just, I don't. But anyways, I thought it was cool. I like the art. I like, I even like the colors. The colors aren't, aren't, um, I mean, in some places they're super bright, but in places, you know, they, 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 the colors react well to the atmosphere, I should say. And his flashbacks, uh, you know, the greens of his costume are, you know, super bright or whatever. In the early morning when he's waking up to uh, 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 Jennifer and, and Herc, um, you know, the, they're, they're dimmer, you know, like they would be in a morning light situation, uh, in a, a reddish, orange sky, you know, that kind of thing. I, I do like that. Things, The colors r- react well to their surroundings. Oh yes, I think so. I think and it, and it it definitely plays in the uh, based on the world and the story that they wanted or the background literally the story the environment that they wanted to set this in. I think it the colors certainly they certainly match and they they set the tone well for certainly in this issue because since we're dealing with the basically since both issues and you know they take place in different places. So you don't right. have the whole goth you don't have the whole Gotham thing or going on in any of that with those ties pretty much in the second part. So it's a nice contrast between part one and part two. Okay. Was there anything else about these two issues you want to say? Well, since you, since you mentioned the art team and the creative team for the, for the core mini, I should go back and Tony Bedard was the writer, Ron Wagner, whose art we really liked. Ron Wagner was the penciler. Bill Reinhold was the inker and Paul Mounts was the colorist for the Green Lantern Parallax two issue mini. So. On both issues, the inker was the same. Uh, yes. And there was no du- double duty on either of them. Uh, I'm looking at both op- both pages. Do 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 do. No, it would appear that 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 was the that was the uh, those were consistent in issues one and two. Okay. All right. So moving on to convergence as a whole, guys. Obviously, spoilers for the whole convergence event. I will say this before we get fully started. I have not yet um, finished reading all of my tie-ins. I've read the all the main series, uh, issues one through eight, which we're about to talk about. And zero. Uh, zero. And, and zero. <laughs> uh, and I've, I've read Green Lantern Corps, obviously, and Parallax. But there were a couple of issues that I was having pulled and a few others I was curious about that I didn't initially mention when we told people originally that we were going to be covering this. So I am going to try and leave out my thoughts on that and maybe just tack them on to the end of an episode, another episode in the future once I've finished everything. Um, just for those listening, you know, like uh, the Hawkman uh, which wasn't the Hawkman series wasn't something I was originally going to pull, but I heard good things, so I was going to catch up on that. Obviously, Batman and Robin with Ron Mars. Um, definitely uh, checking out like things like uh, Crime Syndicate, Justice Society, uh, Plastic Man and the Freedom Fighters, The Atom, The Question uh, by Greg Rucka, and the and Swamp Thing by Len Wein. 
Uh, I definitely want to try and get my thoughts in on some of those at some point in the future. But as of right now, I've only read maybe the first issue of a couple of those, and I haven't got in any of the second issues yet. So um, I don't know what you, Mark, have you, were you reading any of the other uh, side series? These were the other ones I read besides Green Lantern. I read both issues. Though? Yes, I. I, I okay. Yeah, you're I all caught up. Yeah, I, I. Don't put a gun to my head to ask me what happens in every single one of these down down to the letter because some I had more interest in, but I but I bought both issues of each of okay. each series. Uh, balancing out the equation since I kind of ripped into Tony Bedard and about the Parallax one. And again, to be fair, I also don't know as my I'm my my background in Wally West lore is not nearly as good, but I enjoyed his Convergence Speed Force. I do have both of those uh, digitally. I'm planning on checking those out. I like those greatly. It was nice seeing Wally back and, and his kids. I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, so I think Tony Bedard did a good job writing this series. Tom Grummet was the artist, and I, I always like seeing his work, which actually com- directly leads into the another one I was reading where his absence was greatly missed, which was the Superboy tie-ins. Which, when you're seeing Superboy in the reign of the Superman era, you know that's how you, in my mind anyway, that's how you see Superboy written by, I mean, drawn by Grummet, because that's who he was drawing. That's who was drawing the uh, Adventures of Superman book when Superboy was headlining it. So I think that that absence, I think, hurt in Superboy. I kind of liked the story, but I think it would have been better if he looked like the way, in my mind, you know, kind of how he looked in that time, and even when Superboy first got his title, that you know that that's who was drawing him. So it makes sense that that would be your classic Superboy, Reign of the Superman, Superboy artist. So I read that one, uh, Shadow with a Bat, which was the Azrael Batman teaming up with Batman. And I do have Conversion Swamp Thing, but I'm a little hazy on what when That's the one I'm, I probably have read the least, even though it certainly is a very nice-looking book, and it was nice having Ween back uh, drawing, I mean, writing Swamp Thing. So, All right. Yeah, so definitely definitely going to read, uh, get caught up with these in the next few weeks. Uh, I did make a run to the comic book store today, but because of how long it had been since I'd been there, I had other things to pick up uh, that were thickening out my file besides single issues. <laughs> so <laughs> I I picked up a couple of trades, you know, stuff like that. So uh, I'll have to wait a little bit to go get my, uh, my floppies. But anyways, uh, so Convergence, uh, the main series as a whole, issues 1 through 8 or 0 through 8. Obviously, we're going to be spoiling them, but we're not going to go super in-depth, just kind of give our overall thoughts on the series now both mark and i have read zero through eight correct correct okay and first let me say right out of the gate uh it was not well received by the general public until the very last issue um and uh, i i would tend to agree with that um i think my favorite part of the series as a whole was the art um yes the art was good the art was pretty phenomenal um there were times where uh, not every page was uh, up, like there. There were a couple of issues that were great all the way through, and there were a couple of issues that were great in a couple of places. But every issue had great, fantastic moments, at least once or twice in every issue. Uh, and just you know, pages that made you go, "Holy crap, <laughs> this is awesome!" Uh, looking, if not storytelling, um, I kind of felt. Personally, like the story was a little disjointed at times. I would agree with that. 
uh, I kind of felt like we like I missed something in between issues, which I'm assuming is something to do with you know a new character being introduced and us supposedly being already familiar with this their storyline from one of the two issue convergence miniseries. Like there's a point where Superboy shows up or someone bumps into Superboy or whatever. That one's not a big deal; it's more of a side thing. But I'm um, you know. You you clearly it's it's clearly a moment where here's Superboy to learn how Superboy got here. Go read the Superboy series. You know what I mean? Uh, which you know it's a company, it's a crossover. Of course, those moments are going to happen. It's not like I can get mad at them for doing that, but it did feel from issue to issue that I'm missing something somewhere between each of these issues, um, uh, and. Uh, should 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 we talk about it a little more before we say what happens in the end of issue eight, or do we want to just yeah, say... I, I, yeah, I, I think overall, I mean, we should talk about the overall the story. I think before we delve into se- seven and eight, I think are worth delving into. Eight, obviously, more than seven. Right. Uh, but the the basic setup, the the basic setup for convergence and issue zero was up until seven. I thought issue zero was still the best. <laughs> But basically what Brainiac was setting up this great experiment of taking – of plucking cities from different places, different Earths at different times. And at some point he was planning on basically almost having like this contest of champions and having all these cities (laughs) duke it out. Battle world. Yeah, battle world essentially. I mean that and secret – this and secret wars have the same basic premise, Uh, though the end results may be completely different. That – and the winner – basically the winner was going to get get to go back – into the universe and not be pulled out in a bubble here. And he set them on this planet, which basically was Telos, and but his character who basically was acting in Brainiac's behalf was also named Telos, and he basically was kind of like the li- a living planet in a way, he, uh, a living embodiment of the planet, yada, yada. So Telos was – so in the beginning, Brainiac is kind of the bad guy, and then Telos becomes the bad guy for like the first four issues – that <laughs> this is how it gets convoluted. Then we get the old warlord villain Deimos, who ends up becoming the real bad guy. Telos I'm... really is, yeah. Telos isn't really the bad guy. Brainiac's not really the bad guy. About three quarters through, t- or halfway through, t- uh, Deimos becomes the bad guy. And I have to point this out: having two ba- two bad guys with whose le- names end the same exact way. And having them fight each other and square off and having characters referencing both of them probably wasn't the best creative decision of all time. He probably <laughs> didn't add Talos, Deimos, John Stamos. It doesn't matter. It's like it's confusing. So Deimos becomes a bad guy. Uh, he try, you know, Basically, Telos is the one we, we mentioned in the minis, and he was telling all these cities, you fight each other, you win, you, adla- you advance, and if you win, you know, I'll, you'll get to live. Deimos basically hijacks this, and he gains power from all these time masters that were trapped. He basically, including awesome. Uh, sorry. Including awesome reference per Degaton. Yes. And our man's there too. And it, it was pretty, it was cool. Yeah. There were a lot of, there were a lot of interesting references, even in the little, the little marching orders that Telos gives about, you know, about, you know, a king, like a kingdom that never comes and things like that. So that mm-hmm. his little, his basic speech that all the world's here at the same time is, pre, is pretty cool, honestly. But, Talos basically gets eliminated, gets taken out of the picture for a while, and Deimos gathers all this power, and he's basically power hungry, and now he's telling all these worlds, well, hey, it's me talking now, I dealt with the guy who brought you here, but if you want to live, 
uh, you can live, but for a price. So basically, everybody's got to follow him and, and yada yada. So that's so. Deimos is the bad guy. Dick Grayson, not our Dick Grayson. It's kind of like the Earth Two Dick Grayson. We'll delve into that a little bit more uh, about the Earth Two characters. But he and Deimos, excuse me, he and and Talos have this bond. So he now Talos becomes a good guy, and he starts bringing in all the survivors from the. Most many of the survivors from the previous battle worlds, and there's this big clash of forces, and which is quite interesting because now we kind of delve into issue seven, because while uh, Deimos and Talos are duking it out, uh, Hal, Hal Jordan is one of the cooler moments. Hal Jordan Parallax is one of the cooler moments in this because he just kind of grabs Deimos's arm and goes, "Deimos, a word." <laughs> And he goes, he goes, you dare? And he goes, of course I dare. I'm Hal Jordan. <laughs> that was pretty damn cool. And that was an issue seven. And then by the end, you know, Deimos has been all drunk with power. It's like, I can't be defeated. No one can stop me. And Hal goes, nobody can stop you after he blasts him from behind. And Hal proceeds to just obliterate him. <laughs> which is great, though, of course. Hal has a Green Lantern ring, which makes really no sense where he got that from. But still. So that sets the stage for issue eight. Would you like to talk about issue eight since I've kind of monopolized the, the, the short-term recap of zero through seven? I mean, I can keep going, but I don't want to deny you. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I kind of, I kind of wanted to say, in issue eight, <laughs> yeah. this happens. <laughs> they basically tell them how it ends. But well, the problem, with, up, the problem with issue eight issue. structurally is when you think about it, zero eight. Issue 8 is essentially like how Zero Hour Zero would have been if Hal had been defeated in Zero Hour (laughs) 1. I I am opening issue number 8 now because I don't want to just tell you guys, hey, such and such is back. Um, But so. The cover cover is awesome. Yeah, the cover. What it symbolizes, especially as you read the issue, is really great. Which cover? Uh, Convergence 8. No, which cover? The the, the one they're all in the anti monitor's hand. Yes. Yeah, that one's cool. That's awesome. Uh, with, uh, well, with uh, Superman, Lois, and his baby, Flash, Parallax, and Supergirl? Yes. In the anti-monitor's hand? Yes. Okay, yeah. Uh, so, uh, what we do, what, what happens in uh, issue eight is everybody's reprimanding Hal for killing Deimos, uh, which is basically, they're basically telling him, uh, you know, basically every everything's going to be shattered. Uh, Hal's like, I can save us. <laughs> Big surprise. Uh, Tello says, uh, you basically doomed us all, asshole. Um, <laughs> uh, something ominous happens. The flashes can feel it, both Jay Garricks. And by both Jay Garricks, I mean the one from the current Earth 2 series. And the, the real crappy, one. <laughs> with, and, and, and the real, real one from Earth 2 in the Justice Society. Um, they feel a vibrational thing, and it very ominously... Uh, Tell us as it means the countdown has begun. <laughs> when when something shitty's happening, you know it's got to be countdown. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, nice reference. <laughs> yeah, but a bump. So who comes in to save the day? Booster Gold, Gold Star, and none other than Wave Rider. You can't Epic. have a crisis in time without Wave Rider. That's right. So they come back and bring Brainiac back on the scene. Brainiac uh, comes to. Um, he the, he can start feeling the multiverse, and then we get everything about Brainiac's uh, history. Um, let me see if I uh, let's see. 
Okay, so I'm going to read this because I honestly didn't really understand it that the first time I read it. So maybe if I read it out loud, it'll make more sense. And this is all Brainiac talking. I was once the designated Brainiac from the planet Kalu, and I traveled across the universe seeking to collect knowledge. But when I observed the Flashpoint and survived it, I sought for something more, to become something more. So I set out upon the universe. I traveled to the edge of the source and beyond it. I broke into the multiverse and saw a glimmer of this monster before you in the skies. I saw other Brainiacs. I saw me and those reading of me, others staring back at me. I reached into the multiverse for more power, back in time, to evolve as the monitors had. But I was caught in a storm caused by a boy. And we that one's pretty important as we see uh, Superboy punching uh, the crystal wall that started, kicked off Infinite Crisis. Yep, Superboy uh, Prime. Yep, and then, uh, and lost in a terror in reality created by a monster. And we see Mr. Mind from 52. Uh, I reemerged in a new reality. This is the new 52, transformed into this creature. My body lost to the cancerous growths caused by exposure to the multiverse. I wish to turn to what I was. Help me. Um, so, basically, this Brainiac, as he exists, has been corrupted by his exposure to various timelines, uh, energies within the multiverse, and he's trying to come back to what he was. So, what is happening here is that the multiverse is coming back. Um, one of the cooler moments here is Brainiac is, is, is feeling everything. He says, uh, there is something blocking me from sending everybody home. The first crisis. It's too strong. If it's not, if it is not changed, the multiverse will once again collapse into the, into one universe. Then he reaches out and he says, Supergirl and the Flash, I must send you back to your timeline, your fates. And they say, Supergirl says, we know our fates, Brainiac. And Flash, Barry Allen says, if this is the only way to restore the multiverse and save everyone, we'll do it like we did it before. Which was an awesome moment. Uh, and uh, he says, you know your destiny when you were sent back, Flash. Many of you will return to your deaths to worlds with no tomorrow. And we see Flash running into the multiverse, into the time stream anyway, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. Uh, well, that's a re that's well, that's the reference to you well, know, yeah. The Flash, I mean, it's basically a, a a literally a flashback to what ha what did happen in Infinite, in uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth. Yeah, and there's a, there's a moment where they where Flash is let's go save the save the multiverse and, and is is running off into his death. And what happens is basically immediately after they slip into the time stream, it's it's assumed that their tasks were completed because all of a sudden there's a word there's a massive two two page splash, two of them in a row, and it says they have done it. Reality's resetting itself, stabilizing. Each world has evolved, but they all still exist. Uh, and uh, and now I can rest. And in these two-page flashes, the multiverse is back, guys. Um, we see the Bizarro world. We see I don't think I've ever, I've ever read any stories from this, but a a pirate world. Um, we see uh, an old Western type themed world. We see the uh, uh, I don't know what this one is in the top left-hand corner. Of which one? Second page. On, on the first, on the first two-page splash. All oh, the one that has Kyle in it. 
Yeah, the one that has Kyle in it in that weird uniform with the with with Superman without a cape and no yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's obviously a, like a zero hour zero hour time frame world, so it's kind of, that's kind of that's kind of interesting onto itself because you see you see uh what's his face? Uh Impulse. Mm-hmm. And Superboy, uh Reign of the Superman Superboy. So I guess that's kind of so that's that, that's an interesting one onto itself because that almost implies that maybe there's a there's a a world where those heroes basically just held onto the mantles, almost like there's a, yeah. yeah there's there's an all female world uh, where uh, all all female members of the Justice League. There's New Fifty Two in the center. There's uh, in Darkest Night Batman over there in the corner, which looks awesome. Um, there's also on the next uh, double page splash we see Earth. Two as it exists in the new 52 uh, pages, we see uh, Earth C, I think it's C, C A, something like that, um, for the zoo crew creatures. <laughs> oh, um, we see this actually looks like uh, this is um, uh, this what's this one? The bottom bottom left hand corner. It's um, what's the big multiversity? That's that guy from the multiversity. I story. think so. Yeah, they have the commandy oh. world, which still exists. Commandy World, which is awesome. Um, we also see uh, robot versions of the Justice League, or armored versions of the Justice League, rather. We see the Freedom Fighters, epic. Um, there's Commandy, like you said. There is Earth. Uh, what was Earth? What Earth was um, uh, uh, Blue Beetle origi- Blue Beetle in question originally from? That's a good question. No pun Whatever. intended. Whatever, whatever Earth the, the Blue Beetle in question were from uh, is, exists... Uh, we got Earth Three with the Crime Syndicate, and we have uh, the original Earth Two with the Justice Society, um, as it was originally intended to be. Uh, awesome uh, there on the pages, uh, and then everybody goes back. Telos uh, is wiped clean. Brainiac is gone, and we, we forgot to mention that uh, throughout several of these stories, when the domes were up, nobody had their power. No, we um, mentioned that. Oh, well, okay. Well, in the main story, which focuses heavily on the Earth 2 characters, Alan Scott is the, uh, uh, and we're talking about the Alan Scott from the New 52 Earth 2 series, the, the gay Alan Scott with the armor and everything, uh, has uh, powers of the green. He's basically Swamp Thing, kind of. Swamp Thing meets Green Lantern um, on, on this Earth. He has lot throughout the storyline. He has no connection to anything green on Telos. Well, after Brainiac and everything is gone, his connection to the life force of the planet is restored, and he makes everything grow again across the planet. And we also forgot to mention, um, I have not finished reading Earth Two yet, and its whole crazy ass apocalypse storyline that's been going on. But I guess Earth Two had has been destroyed. Yes. Uh, and they sent everybody out in a space arc type situation, uh, as many people as they could. And they, the, the Telos has become Earth, Earth Two's Earth Two. <laughs> yes, the actual planet, the actual planet of Telos. The char- the character of Telos, who originally thought he was just created by Brainiac, during the storyline, Deimos plays head games with him to make to. It makes it clear that you were basically you were an individual, and Brainiac kind of just transformed you. Yeah. So by the end of the series, the, the character uh, Talos is basically going to go out and try to find you know his family and who the hell he was. Right. So and 
and and the planet, which we, we never gets a name other than Telos, so right. I'm calling it Telos. Um, the planet Telos uh, that Alan has now brought to life is transported back into the Earth Two universe uh, that these this this group of characters is originally from. Uh, it is all green and it's put back into the place where the original Earth Two exploded. Uh, so when I say this is Earth Two's Earth Two, this is Earth Two's second Earth. Uh, you know, they're a replacement Earth. So they send out the signal to all the space arcs, and everybody's coming home. We have a world to rebuild. Now, one thing you didn't mention, though, we kind of talked, it was, I guess, implied on some levels because when we talked about the cover, is that when the heroes are going back to stop the not to just not to stop Crisis on Infinite Earth, just to stop the multi the worlds that were destroyed from the multiverse from being destroyed. Crisis mm-hmm. still took place. It's just that the multiverse yes. did not crumble. It basically is intact. That besides the Flash and Supergirl, we had that we had that you know we had that that Superman the Superman with with Lois and the baby who volunteered to go back and of course Lois and the baby didn't want to be separated from Superman. But as far from as a Lantern cast fan, the most relevant aspect of all this is that the other person who volunteers to go back yeah. is Parallax. Is Hal Jordan Parallax? He says you don't have to go with Barry Superman. I'm going with them. He's like I don't want to go back to my universe. It's like I know you, you guys don't don't believe me. It's like, but I want a, I want a chance at redemption. I want a shot, which is kind of funny on one level because in the in earlier on, you know, Telos is real quick to reprimand him and and, Kate and, and capture him and saying, at, you know, in the beginning of this issue, once after like you mentioned when Hal's going, I, I can fix this. I can save us. And he goes, what are you going to do? Another zero hour level event? <laughs> and he just kind of captures him. And then at the end, even though Barry kind of sums it up. And it makes sense Barry would because of his relationship with Hal. He pretty much goes, "Well, I don't know what happened to you, Hal. I don't really, I don't know what caused this and everything else, but we really don't have anything to lose." So I guess that probably explains it that they they were pretty much were willing to roll the dice on Hal going back to the most important moment in DC history <laughs> because of the fact that they didn't think there was any other way out. What's also interesting is that Brainiac makes it. You know, Brainiac kind of makes it clear that many of you will return to your deaths, to worlds with no tomorrow. What's, all, what's really relevant is the fact that, and I'm sure it's done, even though it's, when you're reading the story, it's disappointing this happens this way. But I'm sure, well, I want to believe anyway that they're doing it for a reason because eventually we'll see what happened. That we don't get to see anything. There's nothing in this book that shows you at all what happened when they went back. To crisis on infinite earths they literally fly off and then you get then you jump right into those two splash pages of the how the multiverse was saved so you have no idea what happened you have no idea how, who of these characters all or some of them who died who lived and what happened so obviously there's a realistic chance that this version of how parallax is alive right well we do we do know from the free comic book day issue divergence uh what's coming uh which I gotta be honest, just just as a as a side note, they're doing something with the Anti Monitor and Metron in those. In that, have you read that? No, I I, I okay. didn't get the chance to get my books that I, day, so I didn't get it. I I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, and it's a free comic book day issue anyway, so it's not like it spoils much of anything. But what for those of you who know what I'm talking about, the basic concept of what they're doing with the Anti Monitor and Metron and the art in that issue. The new 52 has me hooked on something. Well, not hooked. They have me curious. New 52 hasn't had me curious in a good long while. 
I might pick up the Divergence series just based on that free comic book day issue alone, just because I'm they, they, they piqued my curiosity. And honestly, for the longest time, DC the way DC's been handling several different things has made me just go, I don't give a crap what comes up, they're not they're not getting me. Uh, and so far I've been able to hold on to that. But this is this is curious. So I'm thinking the Divergent series might have something to do with it. I don't want to spoil anything that happens in, in that for you, Mark, but I will say this. They basically say the uni- the DC universe as a whole has had one too many crises. And if anything happens again, we're all dead kind of a thing. Like one too many crises, something's gone wrong. Uh, the fabric of reality is really you know, thin. <laughs> is, is really thin and can be torn at a moment's notice kind of a thing. So that's kind of the premise for Divergence is one too many crises and we need to, you know, something, something needs to happen. Uh, they reveal some stuff about the anti-monitors quote-unquote true origins in there so that if that's something that might uh, pique your curiosity i I would recommend uh, snapping it up um but yeah um so i'm assuming that the stuff that we don't see here at the end of convergence happens in divergence it's it's very possible but either but because it certainly was something that stood out like a sore thumb when you read this issue yeah. That, that seems like you would have even if one little splash page of all basically everybody in action doing something you think would have been kind of cool, but but I have confidence like you said if it's not in divergence it'll be in something that we'll find out exactly we'll find out more about what happened. But from a Green Lantern point of view that was pretty cool. You have first of all Hal looks awesome when he was about to, when he you know in that panel when he says I want a shot. I mean, he looks great. But just the idea, let's say Hal went back and he died. Well, that's a much, when you think about it, that's a much better redemption than Final Night. <laughs> he saved the entire multiverse, for God's sake. Looking at it from the, the Black Widow trying to get the red out of your ledger point of view, that certainly comes a lot closer to zeroing it out but than Final Night. And, it, yeah. and because of his time, because of his power and his time-traveling ability to begin with, and the fact that he made it clear that he didn't want to go back to his own universe anyway, that he could actually be alive in a different universe. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a realistic possibility of that. So I think that. So I, I think that's pretty cool. And it's not important, but one of the things that confused me is the uh, In Darkest Night Batman universe. Who are those other characters? Because from what I remember... Oh, the splash it, page? Yeah. yeah, much, from, yeah from what I remember of the In Darkest Night storyline... Uh, the gar- Superman hadn't become Superman, Flash hadn't become Flash, Wonder Woman hadn't become Wonder Woman yet, but they all showed up in their costumes, but wearing a Green Lan- Lantern symbol instead of their traditional symbols. So I don't understand how we get a Manhunter, a Martian Manhunter, Superman mashup, and a Flash, whatever that is, mashup um, th- there. I don't know what those characters are. Is that Flash Aquaman? I don't know. But anyways, I don't I don't understand if if this universe is the Darkest Night Batman universe. How did the Superman yeah, and Flash? Nice. How did the Superman and Flash from the storyline in Darkest Night become these amalgam characters? Well, I guess I guess it's well, is implied that it has to do with how all these different worlds evolved because that's that's something we should talk about too because of the fact that. Uh, and not to nail them to the cross, because I don't think Newsarama was the only one who kind of 
gave the impression that the ending of this series was a little bit different than it probably really is. That if you actually look at the splash pages and, and, and what is being described on them, what they are, what this, what this series does, which is kind of funny because a lot of people thought, oh, this was going to be streamlining, streamlining DC history again to try to like finally give maybe some kind of definitive answers to what what happened in DC continuity, what didn't, maybe just you know show you these things one last time just because they don't exist anymore, you know, kind of like get over it, <laughs> it's like enjoy it, get over it. When actually the end was the complete opposite, that pretty much every Earth that's ever existed exists again. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't make every single Earth exist <clears throat> in the same time frame or same status quo as we remember them. That everything we ever read, it makes every story that was ever written in DC continuity at one point. That, that you don't have to worry about, oh, how does it happen? How did the rain, how does the reign of the Superman fit in, in the new 52 because, you know, Cyborg Superman's a different character? doesn't matter because there was one world anyway in which it did happen the way you remember it, so it is continuity. But what, but it's not saying that, like, every single character that we remember exists currently. That is the current status quo on that, that Earth, and it's kind of implied even in these splash pages, how you see, like, the old Justice Society. Mm-hmm. How how basically they're supposed to have evolved on the same end into like the, the kind of like the new Earth Two Justice Society that it's implying that these that, that evolve that these worlds have evolved and th- these were like the beginning basically the building blocks and a lot of stories have happened between the here and now but that's but the current continuity the current status quo may not be as we remember these worlds so I think the Newsarama article kind of gave the impression that every single world was back. Almost like the way we remember them, that all these histories now work are, are working together at the same time, almost that they all exist. Uh, literally, you know, they go hand in hand right, right. now, and, and that's not really what this does. It just val- it validates all of DC history. It opens up the door so you can tell stories about any of these time periods that we saw. And it's still a valid story that it has that is val that it has value in its own continuity in its own time period. So if you want to tell a Wally West Flash story, you can do it. It's still t- it very well can be absolutely continuity continuity, but that doesn't mean that on that world Wally West is even necessarily still the Flash. Right. It, that's kind of it's a little convoluted, but it, that's kind that's kind of the point that. It, all these worlds and all the time frames and time periods on those respective worlds are now completely in continuity and are completely open to storytellers. But it doesn't mean, like I said, doesn't mean that the Earth, the classic Justice Society, exists in this day and age on that planet anymore, on their on that world anymore. So that's 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 one thing that I think need, needed to be needed to be discussed and. While I think it was kind of an – from a just an overall storytelling point of view, I think it was not the best decision to focus on the Earth 2 characters, like especially for the majority of this miniseries. And yes, as you mentioned when we talked off the cuff, and they do mention it in the series proper, they give you an explanation for maybe why the Earth 2 characters are the focus, since they were like the original heroes, kind of referencing the Golden Age, you know, Justice Society. But still, I think they could have – I kind of accepted it more at the end because of the way things played out. But I think from an accessibility point of view, I still don't necessarily think that was the best way or the best group of characters to focus on. But it did give you some good stories because you also got to see the Thomas Wayne Batman interact. And that was kind of cool, seeing him interact with Bruce Wayne Batman briefly in Mm -hmm. one of the issues. That was kind of a nice touch. And 
seeing how that's some... that 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 silent splash was cool. Yes, yes, and there were and there were just just how you know Dick Grayson, even though it's not the Dick Grayson we know and the Batman we know, or e- either Batman, either the Thomas Wayne Batman, or then when he's interacting with the Bruce Wayne Batman. The fact that there are some things, like Alfred said, some things stay the same about how Dick Grayson's favorite tea really hasn't changed, though it's a different universe's Dick Grayson, and there's just so there, there are some nice touches in that. If you're looking at in issue eight, there are some things that still make you scratch your head, like we see a John Stewart and a Guy Gardner, but we don't know where the hell they came from. We don't know which version they're supposed to be because just like even on the last issue we saw the guy, I think it was issue seven we see Guy in his Green Lantern uniform though we saw him the issue before in his Red Lantern uniform. Yeah. So that didn't make any sense either. So there's some, there are some there are some things that makes you wonder if people just got gung ho with trying to draw characters in that didn't necessarily make a lot of sense why they were there. But it doesn't change the fact that I think I think for a story that was certainly a lot more convoluted than it needed to be early on and had really no momentum. I'm not going to say it had no momentum when it started, but it was very close to being DOA once issues, certainly by issue two, that it really did a good job of resurrecting the relevance of it. And not just because, for me anyway, not just because Hal played a major role in the outcome. It just, it, it kind of made, it gave the story value when in the beginning a lot of people thought, you know, a lot of people thought this story was just going to be filler. That this was nothing more than transitioning from East Coast to West Coast offices, giving people a touch of what they liked in the past, just going to take it away again at the end, and it was going to it was going to be fluff essentially. And it really wasn't. It actually, I think, it surprised a lot of people with what they did, since a lot of people, like I mentioned, probably figured for sure this was going to be streamlining streamlining stuff and getting rid of stuff, as opposed to opening up the playing field. And so that was kind of cool. The only, the only thing I'll say, though, about that is from the solicits that I've read of the the next wave of DC books, because, you know, we have Batmite, we have Bizarro, Black Canary, uh, Prez. Dr. Fate. Uh, Did you see that uniform? Doc, yeah, Dr. With Fate. With the hoodie? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'll uh, last long. <clears throat> the small vilification of Dr. Fate. Uh, what, what else? What else was that? There? Doomsday kid, the kid who turns into Doomsday. Yeah, there's also um, there were a couple of other titles in there um, that, but it doesn't look like any of those are multiverse titles. So I'm wondering, you know, if the multiverse is back, then where are our multiverse stories? Yeah, I don't. I'm, maybe they figured to start off the bat because almost all these books are probably going to be canceled real soon. <laughs> Maybe they figured. Maybe they figured starting off with books just taking place on different Earths might have been a bit too much for people to handle right away. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't, I'm not. You know, maybe there's. I, I don't honestly know. Maybe they're setting up for some crossovers. I just don't really know what they're planning. But we know that it's. It certainly opens the door if somebody wanted to do a like a mini series about Wally West being the Flash that they certainly could do it now and not have people not have DC proper look down upon them. It's like, oh my God, you can't touch that wall. Kind of like Hal was in the, in the 90s. Like, you can't bring Hal Jordan back at, telling a story, even if it's Kingdom Come, because he, he's he's off the he's off the table. That now, technically, anything can be on the table, and it doesn't really... Uh, rub another man's rhubarb in the new 52. So, but... I, I, also, I also hope that if the multiverse is back, then this means more creative freedom is allowed in the DC universe in terms of comics, because... 
I feel like editorial has stuck its nose way too far up the ass of the creators uh, since the new 52 and even a little bit before it. Um, and, and that's no secret. I've, I've told people that, you know, and I've said it many times on the show. But if the multiverse is back, then so should unlimited storytelling. Um, and I, and I, I kind of, I, I, I hope that that's what that means. But at the same time, it, you know, it doesn't give me a lot of hope that, you know, things are going on like DC saying that the cinematic universe and the TV universe aren't connected, but then also pulling dick moves like saying Arrow can't use Harley Quinn because they're going to be using her in Suicide Squad. But yeah, then also that, makes no, that made no sense. But then also saying things like, oh, Flash is a super successful TV show. So we'll keep, we'll make that exception so there being a Flash TV show and a Flash movie. But you can't use Harley Quinn in, in, in the Arrow, in Arrow because we've got plans for her in the movies over here. And, you know, you know we, we've got plans for, you know, Green Lantern. So I, we'd rather you guys not use Green Lantern over here. Like when people were talking about uh, Diggle being Jon Stewart, one of the reasons they said that wasn't going to happen is because DC has quote, other plans for that character. If DC wants, and I'm, I'm sorry, the, I'm, I've said this several times on the internet, I'm not sure if I've said this particular part on the show, but let me say this. If DC wants to keep the cinematic universe and the TV universe separate, then shit or get off the pot. Do not fucking sit there and choose your favorites just because, oh, Flash is making us tons of money. Oh well, I guess it's okay that there's a there's a Flash, a TV Flash, and a and a movie Flash. But um, you know, Harley Quinn, that's 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 something that's that's something different. Shit or get off the pot. Either they're separate universes or they're the same universe. Don't freaking choose favorites. It's pissing me off. <laughs> but that's 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 as condensed as I can get that argument. <laughs> no, I I I tend to agree with you. Is is I think I think it was again using the word for the episode. It was kind of convoluted thinking to begin with to not to create these separately and then not and be so dead it's dead set against having any kind of crossover that you can't see that right now. Even though again things can change by the time the Flash movies ever made, let alone comes out. But right now the fact that <clears throat> the Flash is so popular. And probably based on momentum, it's probably in a lot of people's <laughs> eyes. Yes, momentum. Uh, that it's going up, while green, but Arrow may not be going up. That Flash might be the one, you know, that people really care about more these days. That the idea that if this were to continue for three or four years, and then you're going to have oh, people love this Barry Allen, but yet we can't. But this Barry Allen, you'll, you'll never. You're going to see another character on Bar another character play Barry on the screen, which not only ra now raises the bar incredibly because. Because now you actually have a version of Barry that people really like for the first time on film, even though it's on TV, and then so the other guy has to almost meet you know meet that kind of expectation. He's got to at least make people think, oh yeah, I, I could see him being the Flash, let alone whatever the movie is like on its own. It's like a, it's like double the pressure. So yeah, yeah. I, I think I don't think it's it's the smart it's the smartest decision. But let's be honest, up to this point, when it comes to certainly their movie making decisions, they haven't been particularly good. Uh, yeah, the, the I, I just you know just to to bring it back and, and that I just think if the multiverse is back, the multiverse is infinite possibilities. If infinite possibilities are back, so should infinite creative possibilities be back. They should be able to do whatever they want. 
um, and, 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 and not have to go, oh, uh, you know, Harley Quinn's going to look like, you know, I, I keep coming back to Harley Quinn, but, you know, whatever. Harley Quinn looks like this. Harley Quinn and Joker look like this in Suicide Squad, so we need to make them look like this in the comics. No. <laughs> no. And it has nothing to do with whether or not I like those costumes. It's just like, it's if the multiverse is back, we can do whatever the F we want now. And please let the creators do that. So long as it's good storytelling, let them do what they want. Um, that's what I think, but that's just me. Oh, and you mentioned Arrow, and just because it's on my mind, uh, if if people are fans of Arrow and uh, are listening to our show, they're obviously fans of Green Lantern, uh, and I know, Mark, you don't watch Arrow uh, anymore, do you? No, Arrow I've never gotten into, I, okay. but, I do, but I do watch The Flash. Uh, I won't. This is not a spoiler for for uh, the season finale of Arrow. Uh, it, it kind of is because something happens. But uh, at the towards the end of the episode, uh, there is a hint that the flashbacks for next season, because there, there's always flashbacks that happen for Oliver's time when he was marooned on the island and the other stuff that went on. There are flashbacks going on. Uh, start of a flashback that is heavily insinuating, and it sounds like Greg Berlanti and them are have confirmed that the flashbacks for next season will take place in Coast City. Um, and at the end of the episode, Oliver, present day Oliver, looks like he's driving up the coast. So maybe there's some Coast City there. And not to mention, if you've keep, been keeping up with the Flash. There are tons of references to Green Lantern. Uh, there was even a point where they said something about uh, they were using a, a Ferris aircraft uh, uh, yep. testing facility, and, the, and they yep. said one one of their test pilots went missing. Uh, so, and since the Arrow and Flash universe are connected, Green Lantern references on uh, Flash, Coast City references on uh, Arrow. Arrow at some point, whether it be Ollie's past or Ollie's present, or maybe both taking place in Coast City. Arrow might be something you guys, as Green Lantern fans, are going to want to watch for its next season, next uh, starting up next fall. And since we, we covered the TV and we kind of referenced the movie in the same vein, let's talk about the Chris Pine news, which is pretty much well, if it actually comes to fruition. And even if it doesn't, it probably the fact that this is the, this is the kind of role that he seemingly is being eyed for or is eyeing himself. It's kind of depressing if you're, Green Lantern fans potentially, and what it could mean as far as who the, whether you know who pretend, what character they might actually be looking for. That the the rumor, the current rumor is that Chris Pine is actually in negotiations with WB, but not for Hal Jordan, but of all people to play Steve Trevor in the Wonder Woman solo movie. So it's kind of relevant from the point of view that they just don't. He, it's not that he just read for the role. It's not that he's one of their top choices. It's not like they're you know, they're talking to his people. The fact that they say they're in negotiations, which is not not set in stone, because technically I do believe Joaquin Phoenix was actually in negotiations to be Doctor Strange. They weren't mm-hmm. in final negotiations. But usually when you hear the final negotiations, you can take it to the bank that it's a done deal. But he's supposedly in negotiations. And if that's the case, then that's more than just them, them thinking he's one of the guys they want. Chad and I have kind of talked about this a little. Uh, it's an interesting choice. You almost have to think that this is what this, this is almost the, Chris Pine's decision from the point of view that he doesn't want us to take on a major role and another potential franchise because you would think based on the fact that he is a leading man and he has been in a lot of big movies and he certainly 
you know, he he gets a lot of work. That if he wanted a major character, that you would think that they would be more than happy to consider him to be a major to play a major character, either DC or Marvel for that matter. So the fact that he's actually thinking about taking the Steve Trevor role, it makes you think that that might be more his decision that he just wants not to be tied up, and especially the way their DC schedule about having so many movies in a relatively short period of time now, what they're looking at, that maybe he'd rather take a supporting role where it's not going to be that taxing on his schedule, especially if he's going to continue with Star Trek and or, I don't know if they'll make another Jack Ryan, I would suspect probably not, but technically that could be another franchise for him. So that's kind of disappointing because just from an acting point of view, Chris Pine probably certainly deserved or, or deserves probably a major, a bigger character to play. But as, how, as Green Lantern fans, it makes does make you wonder: a is it, maybe now that, that that rumor or that that train of thought that Chris Pine was actually going to be considered or was being considered for Hal Jordan is seemingly derailed now. Makes you wonder that maybe the rumors that it's that John Stewart is going to be the major Green Lantern, uh, maybe that might add a little more uh, fuel to the fire about that. And Chris Pine is a leading actor, not a supporting actor in my mind. Um, I will say this, and I said this to Mark on, on Facebook, uh, you know, I, I can say that all I want, but at the same time, and, and Mark, I'm sure you'll say the same clarifying statements you said to me on Facebook, but, uh, you know, the Superman movie was cast around a uh, relative unknown in the starring role, but surrounded with well-known supporting characters. Correct. So... You know, maybe they're trying to go with that formula for some of their other movies. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Gal Gadot in every in anything. Um, Fast and Furious. Uh, I'm I just saying seen, that's about the, the most. That that's one. where that's where most that's where most people would visually know her from. Uh, and yes, you are like like we talked about. You are you are correct that you know in Superman, pretty much other than Gene Hackman, the only real star. I mean, he was the only star. Everybody other than Christopher Reeve was pretty much a supporting actor. You could make a case for Margot Kidder, but she wasn't really well known, and she didn't really do much. She had a brief little, you know, surge after Superman. But the well, reality... Jor-El. Oh yeah, Marlon Brando. Yes, but Marlon Brando, Marlon Brando was. Yes, I forgot about. We, I forgot about that. Yes, Marlon. Man, Marlon Brando was actually the the biggest name attached to that movie. That was that was one of the big draws for that movie when they were making it and they announced it. The fact that Marlon Brando was going to be Jor-El. But yes, as far as so, uh, Marlon and Susanna York was relatively well known too to play uh, Lara. But the reality is, as far as well, uh, Jonathan Kent. Yeah, but I don't know if Glenn Strain. I mean, Glenn. Uh, uh, I don't know if he was really a lead actor though. I think he was another supporting actor. He was well known. Uh, no, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. Is well known actors were cast in supporting roles. Whereas the main character, yeah, yeah, yeah but most the lead, of, the lead character was a unknown actor. True, that's true. But I'll, I guess my point is uh, now that and you, that was a good point that you added. But other than Marlon Brando, there weren't re- many. There weren't really too many stars, leading leading actors or actresses that played minor roles in that movie. Gene Hackman mm-hmm. was in a star. He was another. You know, he was another draw to that movie. He essentially was a, in a starring role, even though he wasn't playing the title character. But I know what you're saying. But you know Ned Beatty and all, you know, and there were a lot of good a- uh, Cooper, Jackie Cooper. There were a lot of good ca- actors in that movie, but they were basically char- like character actors. And as you said, Chris Pine to me is a leading man, but it doesn't mean 
but you can look at it. It does follow a certain kind of pattern because even though he's not a, he's not in high demand anymore, we know Kevin Costner certainly was a leading man at one point, and he was mm-hmm. a, played a supporting role in Superman mm-hmm. and Man of Steel. So it, it, I mean, it's not like it's it's not like it's never been done before. It's just that I think it's. I think we both were a little surprised that you know that we figured that you know if Chris Pine was going to be was going to have a role, he would be playing a bigger character. Right. And Steve Trevor, I mean, let's you know Steve Trevor isn't. Yeah, in different versions of DC, Steve Trevor can have be more relevant, but the reality is Steve Trevor's not. You know, he's he's not really that relevant. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think of uh, Steve Trevor as a as a Chris Pine type character. No, I don't. I mean, other than by looks, yes, by personality, no, by looks, yeah, you could say that. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting in a way. Like you said, maybe they're trying to get a name that they think will either make people look at the project a little differently, and maybe that's kind of what their goal is. But then again, like I mentioned to you, I think the rumor was. They first were looking to audition Scott Eastwood for that role, and they basically said, "Well, you can either audition for this role, we'll give you like a some kind of supporting role in, I think, Suicide Squad or some kind of role that you can just have instead of auditioning for." It, and he chose that. So even though Scott Eastwood, nothing, nothing against Scott Eastwood, but it's based at this moment in their careers, based on based on where you are. I mean, Chris Pine's a little further ahead of the game, even without having the Eastwood name. So you would think that again, it makes you wonder. Makes you wonder what they're looking for, but just as a fan who is certainly hoping to see Hal Jordan in, be the lead character, be the lead Green Lantern, it was a little disappointing to have seemingly to have Chris Pine out of the running, which is what the it looks like is going to be happening. Right. All right. Uh, you want to close this out? Sure, I will close this out. Uh, if you want to contact us, the email address is lanterncast at gmail.com. Lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, you can visit our website, please, lanterncast.com. Our ring encyclopedia entries are there. Uh, find, our, find some of our older episodes there for some reason. You can find them there, too. We have a bunch of stuff going on and more stuff that will be coming down the road soon, so please keep checking us and checking our website. You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to, to locate us on both. We are on iTunes and Stitcher, so please leave us positive reviews on both or either one. Uh, last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, call us at 708-LANTERN, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. A couple more things, guys. We are also on Instagram now. Oh, that uh, is true. The Lantern Cast. Just find us there uh, and use the hashtag uh, GLCast to see some of the images we post uh, over there. Uh, additionally, the Green Lantern 75th anniversary is happening throughout the months of June and July. So use the hashtag GL75th to uh, find uh, the various posts and participants in that. Uh, and more information coming out about that pretty soon. And keep your eyes on uh, our Facebook page and our website for that stuff. Nice. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.